So as you guys know, we've been in this um, series on Start Over. And the first week, we looked at grace, and Chad told us uh, we suffer from a problem, GTS, which is grace too small. And I believe that absolutely. I love that he started off this Start Over series with grace because that's where it all starts. Uh, then we looked at reconciling relationships, and we looked about how, how we reconcile relationships in our lives. How do we deal with conflict and those things? And last week, which was a completely amazing sermon, he talked about reconciling community, which I absolutely loved. And so this week, um, we're going to look at the topic of relentless prayer and what prayer has to do with reconciling our communities, what it has to do with us and our relationship with God, because I think God has a lot to say about that. So let's go ahead and pray, and we will jump in. Um, Oh, Jesus, um, we just ask you to come today, Lord. Uh, Father, as the disciples today, we ask that you would teach us to pray, Lord. Father, we pray for your presence, Lord. We pray that hearts in here, Lord, that may be um, uncomfortable in coming to you in prayer, we pray you heal that. Jesus, those that have bondages that are keeping them away from you this morning, we pray you break those because that's not your will and not your heart, God. And Jesus, um, we just want to glory, give you glory. Uh, We want your spirit to come and move amongst us. And Jesus, as a church, we just say we love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Yeah, so he told me, he gave me the topic two weeks ago, and I was like, I'm really confident about this. Like, I preached on prayer a ton. I'm really confident about it. If you guys don't know, the number one books Christians write is on prayer. There are tons of them. Ian Bounds wrote a book that's 750 pages long on prayer. Like, he dived into it and just gave a ton of information that I don't remember hardly any of it, Um, (laughs) which is true. Um, and And so I sat down. I was thinking, well, what do I know about prayer? And I was praying God wrecked me. I had two ideas. I'm like, how do I fit these together? Because they both go here. I don't know how to do that. So let me explain the sermon today. Have you guys ever just decided one day you were going to take out on a trip and go drive? Um, My family did that on Sundays because we did not go to church. But we always knew we we were going to one place. We were always going to stop at rallies and eat. I love rallies. They used to have one over here across from the bridge. I gained 15 pounds in my first year at UT from eating there all the time. No same, I'd do it again. But, but guys, um, but we knew we were going to one place. The rest of it, we just made up as we went along. That's kind of what the sermon's going to be like this morning, guys. I know we're going one place. But, and the rest of it isn't made up like there's a guide, but I know there's one thing we're really going to hit because I believe it's something God wants to speak to our church. And he wants to release freedom in our lives, lives to come to God. So basically, I have racked my mind about how prayer works. I've listened to a lot of verses on prayers this week. Let me read some off to you. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So Jesus is like, like, hey, I'm going to tell you this story so that you pray and never give up. Okay, well, how does it work? Well, Jesus says in a different verse, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you receive it and it will be yours. Okay, so I ask and I receive. Is that it? Is there any more? Jesus then says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And then I was like, the only thing Jesus is telling me to do is to pray. That's all he's telling me to do. He's not, he's not breaking this down for me. He's just saying, hey, ask and you'll receive. It's kind of like my parents are telling me, hey, if you be good, we'll get ice cream on the way home. 
yeah, I'll do that. And Jesus is saying, hey, pray. Let's pray. And so I was like, well, what about the apostles? Do they have anything to say? James says, you have not because you ask not. Thanks, James. Heard that from Jesus. I was wanting a little bit more, so I go to Paul, and Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, never stop praying. I get it. Like, it's a little bit redundant now. And I was like, Paul, like, you're awesome. Do you have any more? Paul goes, devote yourselves to prayer and be watchful and thankful. All right. He then says again, and pray in the spirit of spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and, requ- and requests. Then he goes on to say, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And by this time, I've realized I don't know how prayer works, but I know we should do it. Right? Jesus and the apostles did not so much teach on how prayer works and on prayer as they encouraged it. Jesus has one. It's Matthew 6, which is, Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But even that's just a guide. Right? And, and, and in the Christian life, like, we've tried to think of things and be really, really insightful. Like, hey, if you have sin in your life, that's going to hinder prayer because that's going to separate you from God. And you have to have this amount of faith to have prayer answered. I don't know about you guys, but that juggle is just exhausting. It wears me out. And I've heard that so much in people, and they're really good-hearted, and they're trying to figure this thing about how prayer works. But I think it's we just don't know. But Jesus encouraged us to do it. Right? There are no more books written on this than any other subject in the Christian life. And it's because we're trying to understand it. We're trying, trying to glean something of how this works and how prayer is supposed to be done. The secret of prayer today, guys, here's the big insightful thing. Just do it. Right? That's what Jesus and the apostles were saying. Just do it on every occasion. And the New Testament shows us is the people of God are relentless in prayer. And so we're going to talk about relentless prayer today. Relentless means to be unceasingly intense. Turn to the next person next and turn to the person next to you and say, it's okay to be intense. It's okay. You have freedom. <laughs> Guys, it's okay to be intense. All right. Was that awkward for you? Yeah. <laughs> But, but God told us to be relentless and unceasingly in prayer, and that's what Jesus encouraged, that we are supposed to be relentless in prayer. And guys, and let me say, the reason why is when we pray relentlessly is we don't settle for less. Jesus knows if we're praying that we're going to pray till Jesus gives us what he died to give us. Prayer and the purpose of prayer, as C.H. Spurgeon said, prayer is only for one thing, to obtain answers. I agree with that, and I don't at the same time. But he's right. With prayer, God always gives the incentive. He always gives promises. He always gives his presence. There's absolutely no virtue in prayer without promises. Because Jesus, they go hand in hand. Prayer, I think, and right now, guys, I'm ruining everything by encouraging you to pray. I'm telling you how I think prayer works right now. So you're welcome. Um, Prayer is entering a new way of living. Prayer is entering a new way of seeing. When we go to God and we spend time with God in prayer, we start seeing people the way God sees them. We start seeing our community the way that God sees our community. It's a new way of living, and it's a new way of what God wants from us. It's people who are relentless in prayer. I don't know about you guys, but later in my life, I want people to look at me and just say, man, that guy was relentless in prayer. He lived a lifestyle that was just knee-deep in God. 
He wasn't asking God to bless what he was doing, but he was doing what God was blessing. He was knee-deep in what God was doing. Like, he just knows. And there's a few people in my life who I see like that, and they just encourage me. Like, I want to be like them because they always know what Jesus is doing. And they're always following Jesus. And guys, that's the type of person I want to be, and that's the type of person God calls us to be. Now, um, we're going to go to a verse in which if you grew up in church or went to any revival, when I start reading this verse, you're going to be like, oh, man, I've heard this one a thousand times. Or like, and it's, and, and it's just something that in revivals we preach it, but I think we've done a bad job with it. I don't think we really looked at the heart of God and what God is trying to say to us. So um, we're going to go to the verse, and this will be our verse today, Second Chronicles 7.14. How many of you know it right off the bat? A few of you? Man, okay. It says this, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. So let's point some things out, what Jesus says. Guys, I don't know exactly how prayer works, but I know the type of person God calls to prayer. I know the type of person who is successful in being relentless in prayer. And what God's doing here, he's not telling us and not browbeating us about sin like most evangelists do with this. But what he's saying is, hey, come join me. This is who you are. This is what I've called you to do. So let's see God's heart in this, and we'll learn what a relentless prayer is. The first point I want to point out he says, people of relentless prayer know their identity. They know who they are. It starts out saying, if my people, these are people who understand their relationship to God. He is Father, not just some distant God who's, who loves us when we're good and just distance himself from us when we're bad. He's our Father. We, and in light of that, we pray not as servants, but we pray as children. He's made us sons and daughters of God. We pray not as servants at his feet, but children on his knee. We come to him in that confidence. He's not distant, right? right? God is high, but he's not too low. God is vulnerable with us. When we pray, God's heart increasingly fills with joy. There's a verse in the Song of Solomon. It goes like this, uh, my sister, my bride, with every glance of your eye, my heart beats faster. With every glance of your eye, my heart beats faster, my sister, my bride. And that's God's heart when his church looks to him. That's God's heart when his children look to him. His heart beats faster and faster, and he is increasingly filling with joy. And so, hey, we grew up and we had these terms, God, I am nothing, and you are everything. And we pray those prayers, God, I'm nothing, but God, you're everything. Be glorified. And I get the goodness in that. I just think that's a really unbiblical way of prayer. Because if you're a son and child of the king, you're not nothing. You're a son. You're a daughter of God. You come to God, a good biblical prayer is, God, your son is here. I want to talk to you. Your daughter is here. I want to talk to you, God. So basically what we see God outlining in this verse is these are people who will relentlessly come to me because they know their identity. Not only that, guys. Secondly, people of relentless prayer know their authority in God. It says, if my people who are called by my name, Jesus' name is authority. People who know their authority and what they carry, just pray differently, guys. 
right? So let's use Jesus as an example. There's a blind man in front of him. Jesus says, see. Uh, you know, he said, hey, Father, help this person to see. No, he says, see. Or this one, this is a really good one. Lazarus, come forth. That's a good one. Because he knows he's the son of God and he knows the authority that he's been given. When you pray with authority, you expect things to change. And there's this fun story I'm going to use because most of you are like, I don't know about that. I'm a little bit uncomfortable with looking at somebody who's blind and saying, see. I'm a little bit uncomfortable with looking at somebody and saying, who's dead and saying, hey, come forth. Right? That's just really uncomfortable and it goes against us. So I want to show you that you guys carry authority like this, and God gives this to you, that God's not asking for you to ask him to come do it. He's asking for you to do it. So let's go to Moses in Exodus 14, verses 13 through 16. Verse 13 says, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today you will never see again. In verse 14, Ben, don't go past this one because I'm going to explain it. It says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Isn't that a man who's just really dependent upon God? Like he sees God. I don't know about you guys. That's not JV. Like that's varsity to me. Like I'm looking at that guy. Like that guy has it all together. He knows his God. He respects his God. His God's holy. So he goes, watch what God's going to do. Now, now, do you think God responded good to this prayer or bad? Good? Okay, well let's, well, let's see what Jesus says. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? If I'm Moses at the time, I'm like, come on. Like, didn't you hear what I just said? Like, everybody's agreeing with me. That was really, really good. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Moses, raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. That's authority. And that's what God has given every one of his children of God. People of relentless prayer, they know their authority. They know they can go to God and ask for things boldly. They know when they're in a situation and they're praying for somebody who's having problems in their lives that they can use the authority Christ has given them. God gave Moses a staff. He gives us the Holy Spirit. That's Christ's authority in us. I like what Steve Nicholson says about this. He says, exercising your God-given authority is not to ask God to do anything but to pass along the command of God's heart. You have to go from the safe prayer of God, please, to speaking to the condition around you what you want to have done. That's authority, and that's what you carry. And so what, what God is building here, he's saying, this is who you are, and this is what you carry. He goes on. My third point is people of relentless prayer walk in humility. They walk in humility. They will humble themselves and pray. Humble people view their lives from the perspective of heaven, and, and they agree with what God says. I always like this term. If God calls you good and you call you bad, is that humility or is it pride? It's pride. A God who loves you calls you good, your beloved son, and you say you're nothing. You're disagreeing with the voice of heaven. You're disagreeing what God calls into your life. You can make some of the most incredible claims like Jesus did about himself and be completely humble. And you can say, God, I'm nothing, you're everything, and be completely filled with pride. 
completely filled with pride. The prayer of humility prays a kind of crazy prayer like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done. How Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, God, let your kingdom come. Let me view things from your kingdom and let my kingdom go. When God's kingdom comes, I see you in a different way. I'm not looking at it through my understanding. I'm not looking at it through my kingdom, right? I don't always like Brian Lee. I'm just going to be honest with you. He gets your microphone. He makes fun of me. It's like that. I know, I know when he's getting one, and I'm always like, so what's your joke today, man? Like, I kind of respect it now because it's just bold. I like it. But, but if I'm looking at, at it from God's viewpoint, I'm going to look at Brian and go, no, this is what you think about Brian. This is how you delight in Brian. Just let you guys know I love Brian Lee. I love that guy. I want to be like him when I grow up. I really do. He's awesome. But, but, but guys, with people who make us mad, when God's kingdom comes and we see things from his perspective, then we walk in humility. And so God says we have identity, and we need to know that if we're going to be relentless people of prayer, that we have authority. We need to know that if we're going to be relentless, and we need to walk in the humility of what God says about us. Those are people who know how to relentlessly pray, and they won't be afraid to come to God because they know who they are. They know what they carry. So we go on to the next few verses. It says, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And this is the one that gets us, right? Because God's like, hey, but there's an issue, and we need to confront it. My fourth point is people of relentless prayer are ruthless with wickedness in their life. God hates sin because it interrupts original design. If we go back to the garden before the fall, God walked in the garden. He walked with Adam and Eve, and he talked with them. When the fall happened, what happened? Adam and Eve ran to hide as God came looking for them. And that disrupted original design, what God intended of our relationship with him. God hates sin, not because it separates him from you. Let me say this. Sin does not separate God from you. It doesn't at all. If not, Jesus would have never entered the world full of sin. He would have stayed in heaven. But what sin does is it separates you from God. Because it blinds you to who you are. And that's what God's saying. You are mine. I am your father. Look at the authority I've given you. Walk in humility with that and see how this is making you run away from me. That's not what I want. That's not God's heart. Sin, sin, do, sin does not keep God from us, but sin keeps us from God. We run away thinking he won't want to be in its presence. And that's not what Jesus taught us. That's not what Jesus coming to the earth was about. I know that's hard. If you want to talk about it later, we will. <laughs> People of relentless prayer look to abolish wickedness in their life. They do. They see it, and they say, God, is this your heart? Is this something that's pleasing to you? God, is this the way that I should orient my family? Is this the way my family should do things? Is this the way I should handle my finances, God? And then it's, God, I have this something that's a little bit dark and dirty in my life. I need help. And God's had me, guys, personally on a journey since November in which I deal with same, constant same in my life. It reoccurs and it reoccurs. And lately I've been going to God. I've been going to David because David is vulnerable with God. And I go to Psalm 51 where Jesus talks about his rebellious ways and he sits with God in his rebellion. And that's what I've been doing. And can I say there's 
no freedom. I mean, there uh, no freedom. It's the best freedom I've ever felt with God. Going and saying, God, here's my mess. I'm hurt. I'm broken because of it. There's things deep within me that aren't healed, Jesus. What I've learned just sitting in his presence, he doesn't have to say a thing, and I never say a word. But God heals me. He heals me. And what the devil wants to accuse you of is that you're not good enough for God. So why pray? The only thing the devil has against you today is accusation. Accusation of your sin. And what he tries to do, he tries to blind you from original design, which is a God who wants to walk with you and love you. And so we run away from God. But that's not God's heart at all. And listen to what God says. Whenever we repent from our sin, and let me say this, God's holy, guys. He is. He hates sin because it separates you from him. That's why God hates it. But then God says, whenever we repent as children, sons, and daughters of God, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive your sins and overlook your offenses. I will incline towards them and they will move my heart. I will begin to partner with them and pour out my spirit upon them. I will begin to do more than they could ever imagine or think. And guys, and when I read verses, especially David, whenever I go to the Psalms, he says some things that just, I just don't identify with that, David. He says this, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. That's awesome and cool. But whenever I read that righteous part, I'm like, oh no, I'm screwed. I am screwed. And, 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 like, and, and out of all the people do that, David's, like David's saying, the righteous cry out to you. Then you will deliver them out of all your trouble. Guys, it is not your righteousness today that earned you good favor with God. It is not your goodness this week that God will then bless your prayers. It's through the gospel. It's Christ's righteousness that's imputed to us because Christ took our sin. He took our same he hung on the cross, and guys, because Jesus hung on the cross, he, when Jesus hung on the cross, his purpose was there so that sin would never divide you from him, Those, so that sin can never keep you away from approaching, because we have a righteousness that is not our own. So whenever I read prayers like this, I have to remember, my righteousness is not my own. I'm not coming in my own righteousness. I'm coming in God's, what he's given me. I take my stand on God's faithfulness. So if you're dealing with something dark and dirty today, it's not your righteousness that allows God to hear you. It's his that he gave you. Don't be afraid to approach it. And then Jesus goes on. Guys, and guys, I want to say this for a few moments. Um, what is prayer? What is prayer? And we're going to answer this at the end. What's, what's God's purpose in all of this? The fifth point I have is people of relentless prayer join God in the renewal of all things. Right? I branded myself today again. Like I'm pushing it hard. And, 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 and you may say, Chad, well, you're just throwing that inside of the verse because you want to you make a really good point. You may be right, but the verse says at the end, and God will heal their land. God will renew their land. When God says, I will heal their land, and I'm going to say this, it does not mean a sovereign move of the Spirit. It's not that God's just going to go about changing things on his own. That's not God's heart. Um, God's heart is this today. Um, God's heart is that you partner with them in the healing of the land. The very same people who were relentless and cleaned out their lives, God invites them to join him in the renewal of all things. And that got me thinking about 
God, that, that this God that we know so much, he comes to the sinful people, these, these people who have rebelled against his ways. He reminds them of their identity, their authority, the walk in humility of that. He tells them to repent and come to him because sin is, because our sin is keeping us away from them. Then he tells them, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to do that. We see in the New Testament, Jesus just didn't do everything himself. He called his apostles. He calls people to come and partner with him. And so I see a God who is vulnerable to the prayers of his people. Prayer is when we are completely vulnerable to God and God is completely vulnerable to us. And that's hard to understand, that my prayers can move his heart, that my desires, the things I'm wanting in life can move God's heart. And God is completely vulnerable to that. I think prayer works this way, guys. I think it works this way. We're about to quote the King James. How many people love the King James? Jason, I knew you were a man. I like you. <laughs> so in the King James, it says this, Therefore I say unto you, what's, What things soever ye desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. Therefore I say, whatever things you desire when you're in prayer. Whatever things you desire, not what you desire when you're out of prayer and out of communion with God, but whatever things you desire when you're in communion with God. There's this thing with God that when we come and we stand before him and we start sharing our desires with him, God starts sharing his desires with us. The desires and dreams he has over your life, he starts giving those to us and he puts them in us. Have you ever been in prayer and you just feel this stirring in you? Because God's given you something. God's given you his desire his viewpoint. Prayer is not so much a conversation with God as it is listening to the dreams and desires that fills his heart. Prayer is the place we learn to hear the dreams of God for our family, friends, and our city. And do you know Jesus is at the right hand making intercession for us today of the Father? How much is it just to go in prayer and be like, Jesus, tell me what you're praying today. Tell me what you're praying over the Vineyard Church in Knoxville. Tell me what you're praying over my life. That coworker that's having a hard time at work, what are you praying that comes into their life? I don't know, but that'd be a really good prayer. So the amazing thing in prayer, guys, and I don't understand this, is that God is moved by all our vulnerability and our desires, and then he starts sharing his with us. That's how we join God in the renewal of all things. People who God shares his desires with have so much passion like, they're not people that can sit still. I've never seen a person that's full of passion who just sits still. They're always moving. They're never like, oh, I've got so much passion. I'm just going to stand here because I have so much passion. No, guys, because when God fills your heart with his desires, you have to move. You have to start going because he's shown you what our community needs. He's shown you what you need in your life, and you start moving because God's working with you. Have you ever seen a bottle in the ocean? How a bottle is completely filled with the water, but the bottle itself is completely surrounded by water? That's what God wants when God is telling us to join him in the renewal of all things by prayer. He wants to see that to where you don't know where the water begins and you don't know where the bottle ends. You're just all together in one thing. Have you ever seen the Bible and the Acts of the Apostles? There will be part of the book of Acts that says this is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Then there's other books of the Bible that says this is the Acts of the Apostles. It's because you didn't know who was doing what. Was it the Holy Spirit in the Acts of the, through the Acts of the Apostles? Or was it the Apostles through the Holy Spirit? You just didn't know. They were inseparable, guys, because they were moving. 
They were always moving. That's what joining God in the renewal of all things is. Let me say this. I love prayer meetings, but most of the time we are just asking God to do everything. Oh, God, come change my family. Oh, God, come change my workplace. And God's saying, so send I you. It's you because you carry my desires and you carry my dreams. You carry my peace, my righteousness, my hope. You have my gospel and my message. I'm sending you. You're God's answer to prayer everywhere you go. And we view prayer as something that negates partnership rather than being the very foundation of our partnership. That's what prayer is, partnering with God in everything. We're walking with God, and he's walking with us. His presence is with us. And guys, as soon as we start moving, God begins to move. He's just waiting on us to move. And that's what happens with people of relentless prayer. They move with God, and God moves with them. Frederick Buchner has this quote. I love it. He says, the place where God calls you to is where your deepest desire and the community's deepest hunger meet. So there's desires God has given you is where your community is hungering for help. Where God has given us desires over Knoxville is where our community is hungering. And God's looking for a church that will sit with God and learn his heart and his desires through prayer. So you may be like, how does this work? Just because, let me say this, when you partner with God, the way you partner with God is different than normal church functions. It just looks completely different. So um, we're going to end with this. I have a video. It's four minutes. We're going to watch it. I'll come back up. Alberto, music people, come back up with me. And then we will um, uh, go into prayer time. So I think, I think we have a wonderful heritage in the vineyard as a movement. John did an exceptional job in, in teaching us the, the generosity value, whether it's expressed towards the poor or the broken or the lost or in healing, which is simply the overflow of divine generosity into a life that's sick. Or, or, uh, so I think we've, we've absolutely caught that. We run with that. Uh, I would love to see increasingly an effective engagement with our cities and increasingly learning to lead our city into life. I think church planting is an absolute healthy goal, but I see it as too low a goal. I think, I think the, the larger goal, you get the smaller thing. When you begin to think, how do we lead the city into life? If my first question is about how do I serve this community? Give you give you an example. We we see what we do where we are at Causeway Coast Vineyard. We see it in partnership with the other agencies in the community. So we have schools in our community that are serving the destiny of young people. And we're a church in the community serving the destiny of young people. When we learn to think that way rather than uh, how do we get young people to come into our church, which is typically what we did. Uh, if, with your permission, if I could answer this a wee bit longer. In, in the, uh, years ago, what I used to do is I would go into schools and in Northern Ireland, you can do that. Uh, they don't mind. You, they invite you in. You can speak about Jesus and the kingdom. Now, go in one week. I think I saw twenty-eight kids give their life to Christ, and I came out and patting myself on the back and thinking that's a good week's work. And of course, schools are like the kids are captive in there, right? Where can they go? You go in, you tell them about Jesus, they get nowhere to go, and then we realize, gosh, that's not that's not the heart of this thing at all. To simply go in and to see that happen, that in one level, that's good. And that's healthy. But we began to think, well, what, what should our participation in schools be? How do we begin to supply the destiny of young people? So we began to work with the schools, the local school in our area. And uh, we just said, hey, we're going to show up. We're going to serve you. And they were deeply suspicious. People generally are. Children were like, what are, what are your crucial needs? Where's the critical demand? How do we serve? 
And they said, well, why don't you come in and serve our breakfast club? So we took eight of our interns and we said, you go serve in that school each morning, which is eight hours lost to our church. We're like, you go serve in that school, give them breakfast, don't mention Jesus. That's your only smile, don't mention Jesus. So they go do that. After a while, the school comes to say, look, would they mind? Can they come in at lunchtime and be around the kids and, and be like playground mentors? And we're like, is that legal? You know, don't you have child protection issues and that? And they're like, we'll sort all of that. Just can you bring your guys in? So guys go in, the kids love them. Kids are beating them up and all sorts of stuff. It's wonderful. Well, then they say to us, would, would you, would you man, we have a, a parents' evening coming up and we'd like the vineyard to be there. So we show up at the parents' evening and they're bringing these new kids who are visiting the school in P7, the secondary school they're about to, so the P7 at the moment, or year seven about to go into year eight. And they're assessing the schools. Well, the school would introduce and they would say, this is Mr. Franks, he's the geography teacher. And this is Neil Young, he's from the Vineyard Church. He's going to be helping you with pastoral care. Well, now as the relationship has developed, we have, I think we're in the school teaching maybe eight to 12 classes, but we're not doing RE, we're teaching kids to read. Sorry. Teaching kids to read who are 14 and have the reading age of an eight-year-old. And they're learning. We're supplying the destiny of kids. And it's so much better than 28 kids coming to faith. Now, kids are coming to faith in the mix because they're coming alive. How could you not? It's Jesus who brings life. You've got to come alive in that. But it's a whole different viewpoint than we went in, we did our thing, we grew our church. What we did is we went in, we looked at their feet and we said, where do you need washed? How can we serve? And began to find life. We found life in giving our life away. And in giving our life away, they came alive. It's just a sweet thing. Isn't that different? When we partner with God, guys, he gives us abundantly above all that we can ask or think. When we pray with the Lord and we give him our desires and he gives us his desires, there's no telling what the Lord may do. There's no telling where the Lord may reach. And that's so much better than what you or I can ever think of. His desires, whenever I have my own and he tells me his, are so much better than my own whenever he gives them to me.